Hi friend, and welcome back to Don't Take My Word For It. My name is Vasti, and this is a weekly podcast, around 30 minutes long. And we talk about uh, how to motivate and encourage each other, but we also challenge each other. And what I do is I share some of the things that I have learned in my personal Bible study. My aim, however, is more than that. I really want to get you to a place where you are motivated enough to have your own personal Bible study time. Because it makes a big difference. Instead of just listening to somebody else say something, when you dive deep and meditate on those things yourself. Um, so that is my hope, that uh, you will be motivated to do that through the listening of this podcast. Uh, whether it's with my material or with something that you're interested in. And today... This episode is going to focus on the story of the rich young ruler. The main reading today is coming out of Luke 18, verses 18 to 30. However, there are parallel accounts that you can look up and read on your own. They're found in Matthew 19, verses 16 to 29, and Mark 10, verses 17 to 30. This is going to be in the episode description, so don't worry. Let's get right to it. So verse 18 says, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good save one that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not kill, Do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. When Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the needle's eye than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then they heard it said, Who then can be saved? And he said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And then Peter said, Lo, we have left all, and have followed thee. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time, and in the world to come life everlasting. If you're like me, this is a story you have heard countless times before. If you haven't heard it, then cool. But for the most part, I think that if you've been to church a few times and you did Sunday school when you were little, you have heard this at least three times before. And I think a problem that we have when we listen to stories in a simplified manner is that we remember some of the order of events, but then we stopped really focusing on details. And with this story in particular... I always felt like there was something I was missing, Uh, particularly when Jesus is talking back to this man and saying, why do you call me good? And I'm going to talk about this in a little bit. But 
let's explore a few things. Let's start with the language that this man is using. So it says, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I thought, okay, inherit. Inherit means that this guy maybe thinks that this is a familial thing, that maybe his parents, because they've done XYZ, then if he does XYZ, then he can receive it as an inheritance, like a blessing. But I wasn't sure, so I looked for the definition. It comes from the Greek word kleronomio, and that means the reward of acknowledgement of paramountcy of the claims of Christ. If you look in Matthew, it also uses the word inherit, but if you look in Mark, I believe the word used is receive. And the dictionary says that probably the best way to interpret this is to say, he was basically saying, what shall I do to receive or have or obtain eternal life? So he wasn't really thinking, it was like parents could give it down to him as an inheritance, but he thought that he, there was something he could do to get it, which is a warped way of thinking about things. This is the first mistake we can see in his thinking because he he believes that there are works that he can do in his own power that can help him obtain eternal life. Which is not true, by the way, but I'm just throwing that out there. The second thing I want to point out now and we will talk about a little bit later is how he addresses Jesus. And it's a a very important thing to look at. He says, good master. And I thought, well, master can mean like Lord, right? So then I looked it up and it came from the Greek word didak- didaskalos. I'm probably not saying that right, but it really means like doctor or teacher. So he's just calling him a teacher, somebody you respect because they know more than you. And that's important. We will come back to that in a little bit. Something else I think is important that I highlight before we dive into the titles and why Jesus was harping so much on him not calling him good was the fact that I need to put out that, that I don't think that this man was... I don't think he he understood his his pride and the way that it came out. Um... And the reason I say that is if you read the account in Mark, it it adds an extra detail about this man that kind of shows us more where he was coming from and why Jesus tried to meet him where he was at. So if you look at Mark 10, and verse 17, it says, And when he was gone forth in the way, there came one running and kneeled to him. And ask him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And if you if you only read the account of Luke, then you wouldn't have known that he actually came running and he kneeled at Jesus' feet. And this suggests earnestness and respect. So he really, it it wasn't, he wasn't being fake about it. And he didn't think that he was being proud when he was subsequently saying, you know, I've kept the law, so I should be good. But what else do I have to do? Um, And I think it's, we should be fair to this character as it is portrayed. You know, I think he was earnest. He was respectful. He, 
He saw Jesus as a very learned man, but that wasn't enough. Knowing this, we can then focus on the importance of the titles. Why is him calling him good master such a big deal? And then why does Jesus uh, ask him why? Why, call, why do you call me good? There's no, none good but, but God. And I always thought that that was Jesus kind of doing his like humble thing or... Uh, not really p- being petty, but more so like, well, if you don't address me as I should be addressed, then uh, don't call me good because nobody is good. And I was like, but you are because you're God. So it, it was just a little bit of a confusing thing for me. And I don't know if you've ever thought about that either. But... It's almost like Jesus is giving him a chance to internalize. You almost got my title right, but not quite. (laughs) You called me teacher, and you called me good, but you can't call good something that isn't God. So why are you calling me good? It was, I was seeing it the wrong way. And that's simply a perspective thing. You can see it however you want to see it. But I think because Jesus knew this man's heart was in earnest and in respect, really trying to figure out eternal life, he was basically asking him a question that also gave him the answer to the puzzle. Um, And I'm going to say a few things that uh, I really got from a book called Holier Than Thou by Jackie Hill Perry. Um... I didn't have these things in my mind. They didn't come from me. (laughs) I learned when I read this, I was like, oh, I got it now. Um, And I wanted to share that with you. And the premise is that we are anything that is good or has any goodness in it is either because it is trying to conform to what God is or because God called it so and you know God didn't have a teacher he he was he is goodness that is not just a quality of him or a side of him he embodies it all together because he is 100% holy he's also 100% good it's not just an added thing and so when this young man comes with that question he sees Jesus as a teacher and he considers him good but he doesn't consider him God and these are almost direct quotes from the book right now it's on page six if you ever do read it the actual full quote is the ruler has come with a question for a teacher he considers good but not God This belief is so authentic to the ruler that he's sincere when speaking to the incarnate God, who alone is good, when he says he's kept his law. And listen to this, I'm still in quote here. As if to say that he is good too, what he thinks of Jesus drives how he thinks of himself, which sets the stage for his refusal to sell everything he has so that Jesus could be his ultimate treasure. If Jesus is just good, but not God, then the command to follow him is optional. End of quote. 
that was so powerful when I read it. Because it's almost like I had it on the tip of my tongue, but I hadn't fully understood it. So, Jesus is trying to meet him in the middle. And he's also trying to hint at him, why are you calling me this? If I'm a teacher, I can't be good, because the only thing that's good is God. So do you want to call me by a different name? And then he proceeds to say all of the commandments, and if you followed them, and he says, I've done all of these since I have been a little kid, which, I mean, it's pretty commendable if he actually has. But we know that there was still sin from the beginning there, even if he did follow the law to the, to the T. Um, but I think it's important to see how his belief system impacted how he viewed Jesus. Because he thought Jesus was a good teacher because he knew a lot and he followed the law. So he thought, well, I followed the law, so therefore I am good too. So what else do I have to do? As if there was something he could humanly possibly do. But he wasn't seeing Jesus the right way. The way he acted came from a belief in how he viewed Jesus. And I think it's beautiful that Jesus almost framed the question to hint at him that only God is good. So do you want to really call me good? And if you call me good, then you, you're also saying I'm God. But uh, I don't see, unfortunately, evidence of anything here pointing towards the fact that he did make that connection. But I think it isn't that so wonderful that... Jesus is trying to give him the answer here without being obvious. I thought that was so powerful. And again, uh, that part of the quote was from page six on Holier Than Thou. Jackie Hill Perry wrote that. And it is a very powerful book. And I recommend you read it because it, it really sheds light on our behaviors and how we respond to things and approach things based on how we view God and things we believe about God. Um, so, I highly recommend it. Now that we've heard all of the goodness part of it, we head to Luke 18, verse 22. And it says, Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all thou, thou hast, and distribute to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Uh, I think that, to even get a better perspective, I'm also going to read to you Mark. Um, it's, it just, I really like how Mark wrote things. Uh, it says, and this is Mark ten twenty, or 21, sorry. Mark ten twenty one. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up thy cross, and follow me. And <laughs> it's just, uh, isn't it much nicer to read that extra detail? That Jesus beholding him, he loved him. And um, beholding him is, a, according to my study Bible, was an intensified form of the verb. 
And this indicates that he was scrutinized by Jesus. And Mark is the only one of the Gospels that states that Jesus loved him. Uh, also, by the way, the the fact that he says one thing you lack shows that even if he actually did perfectly obey the law, it did not it did not merit him eternal life. Uh, so, even if you keep every single law and commandment and there were many for the Jews it wasn't just the main thing uh, according to their beliefs and it's clearly not what Jesus was saying here he just focused on a few of them but um, and I don't know enough about that to really elaborate but uh, what I do know is that following that to the T didn't really warrant him eternal life <laughs> and so if you are focusing on works let me tell you, you're focusing on the wrong thing because anything that you do or any rules that you follow or any commandments that you follow are not enough. What you do is not enough. That's what Jesus was trying to tell him here. Um, which is why he asked him, why do you call me good? Almost like, really, reconsider. Call me God. Don't see me as a teacher. Please call me God. I know you're looking for the answer. I am the answer. But this... This guy didn't get it, and we know that because when we look at the next verse in Luke, heading back there, it says that, um, and when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God! Exclamation point. Which seems to me that Jesus was kind of, oh. He, he missed it, you know. He was he was so earnest and looking for the answer, but he missed it because the guy was just so sad. And um, there there is one note in my study Bible that actually suggests that it was a look of shock in the in the man, not just sadness. He was just shocked that he was asked to sell all his stuff. And we can go into trying to understand why would Jesus tell him to sell everything? Wouldn't he want a man with a lot of money to kind of endorse his campaign or fund his travels to, you know, share the gospel? And the answer to that is I have no clue other than Jesus knew this man's heart and what was his treasure. And I think his request was based on that. It's like, if you really care, if you really want to know eternal life, why do you call me good? Call me God. Call me God and follow me and let all of those other things go. Because those things might provide a salary, but they won't put treasure in heaven and they won't give you eternal life. But unfortunately, because of God, of this man's view of Jesus... As just a good teacher and not a good God. Led him to not be able to visualize his riches as less than serving actual God in his presence. And so when the request came to follow him, he saw it as optional. And I think that is such an important lesson that we can get out of, out of this story. It is sad. After that conversation is over and the man leaves, 
Jesus then says, How hardly they that have riches enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye for than the rich man to enter the kingdom of of God. We have to pause here because I wanted to mention that I have heard references in a few sermons, but I have not checked it myself. I'm only going to mention it because I thought it was interesting. And if it is true, it is the perfect application. I see what Jesus said. Um, Apparently, historically speaking, and in the cities in Israel, there were specific gates where goods could be brought in through, usually on camels, that were called needles because they were smaller doors. And so I've heard a variety of different things that I don't know which is correct. But um, basically, it, at least the width of it was not too big. So if you had a bunch of baskets hanging off of the camel, sometimes those had to be taken off for the camel to be able to go in. And you can double check that and see what you find. I, I don't know. There's a variety of different things I've heard. Some say that the camel, it was so small the camels had to knee, kneel to go in, which seems counterintuitive to make a door if it's going to be that hard to get in. I don't really know. But at the very least, the picture we're seeing of having to take things off to go in is very compelling. This is exactly what Jesus was telling this man. Take off this these treasures you have, this reliance you have on your money, how much you esteem these goods, so you can go in. Because it's more important to go in than to carry these things. And I thought that was interesting. Now, apart from that, then you see the anxiety that it causes his followers. Because then I can almost hear them and see them raising their hands and saying, well, who then can be saved? And he says, things which are impossible with men are possible with God, which I think is a reassurance of what we talked about before, that it's not something that you can do in your strength. Salvation is not something you can work towards but only something God can grant you and then you can accept, but only through that means can you get salvation. Um, And then Peter presents what the disciples were probably all thinking. He says, Lo, we have left all and followed thee, which was probably a hard thing to do. I know uh, Peter had a wife and... Um, he had uh, his mother-in-law to take care of, I believe. Presumably, every disciple had left multiple somethings behind. And it wasn't that they couldn't go see them. I think they just, for the time being, when they were following Jesus, that just wasn't their priority. And because we we see in different accounts where they went to peter's house or something like that so it's not that they never saw them again it's just that while they were with jesus that wasn't their priority and they weren't just worried about being back and forth at those places or doing those things presumably they had careers that they yeah, they possibly had trades that they continued to do while they were with jesus but not in the same place they were before and so um i think they were just all Kind of anxious about, you just told this guy if he, because he he couldn't reach 
his full faith because he had a lot of things. Well, we had things and we gave them away, but you're talking about God doing the impossible. I'm confused. Um, and then Jesus uh, affirms them by telling them, hey, uh, these are two different scenarios, guys. This This man, when faced with the choice to follow me or to follow what his plan was and his comfort and his money... He was not willing to let that go for what I wanted him to do. I wasn't of value enough to him because he he got he came to me with the wrong presumption from the beginning. He did not see me as God. He just saw me as a good teacher and therefore I wasn't worth the option of or I wasn't worth obeying to be followed because in his mind I wasn't the treasure that his possessions were and so you guys are different because you saw something in me whether you understood it or not that told you regardless of what I have here following this guy is more important right now so he's kind of reaffirming I believe this is how I am interpreting all of this the stuff Jesus is telling them is like hey the fact that you have followed me and you let go of your things tells me how much you value me, how you see me, and also a faith where you were able to lay down maybe plans that you had for this year, maybe ideas of how you should be doing in your career, maybe ideas about what you would be doing with what people. And you gave it all up because you were being obedient to me and following me. Um, and then proceeds to say, there are rewards in this life and the coming life, because you have done this, do not despair. And I think it's important to highlight that Jesus talks about this life as well as the coming. Um, I don't exactly know what rewards in this life exactly mean. I think people sometimes confuse confuse that and think that you know you're gonna you're gonna live in some sort of happy state all the time and maybe you're gonna like have no problems and have all this stuff and have a high position or something and I think that's not at all what's being said here I think rather what it says is your life is going to be abundant. You're going to have joy. You're going to have peace amidst everything that happens as a daily just life, what happens to everybody. And that there would be a provision for when needs were there and a grace for when things weren't that nice. Um, but I don't know beyond that what it looks like, and I'm not going to, you know, present my ideas because they're probably not good enough <laughs> for what he actually meant but I will say that I think it's kind of silly that we do not give importance to the rewards of heaven and I've been thinking about this lately because um, I was hearing some uh, somebody I think it was Dr. Tony Evans talk about when we are in the judgment throne um where these are people that have been saved, so they are Christians, they belong in heaven, but, you know, all of our actions, our purpose, with why we did them, our motives, um, 
all of that's going to be judged. And then it says that some people are going to come up with just burnt up wood and some people are going to have gold and jewels. So I think the heart was right and all of that. I don't know how God is going to judge. He knows us. So I think it's going to be some really amazing way of doing it. I have no, I have no clue. I'm just, I know that it's going to happen and that I think uh, what I remember him mentioning is um, there are a few passages in scripture that very explicitly state that God has already a set of privileges and like rewards for each one of his children but you can certainly lose those while you run your way or your race because of how you choose to do things and the importance that you give to the sacrifice of Christ. And so I think just living your life loosey-goosey and not really caring about what Christ wants for you is is dangerous, but we don't really see it that way. <laughs> um, but I think it can be dangerous as well if... If you are trying to live life the right way and do what God wants you to do. Um, but sometimes with the wrong motive, that can be dangerous as well. And I think it is important to think on those things because it is eternity. And to me, it's going to be like you're, you're inside this figurative castle where all of these activities are happening at the same time but you won't have access to all of them and so you will forever be perhaps deprived of certain things your life will still be nice and you will be in heaven um but there will be really cool things that you won't be able to do and i don't think that we should that that should be our motive, like, oh, I want to have access to everything in heaven. I, I don't know how to think about that. <laughs> but I, I do know that I want to have access to everything God has for me. And I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. I hope that little by little he transforms my life and that I am able to do so. Well, our time is up. Let's go quickly over some things that we talked about today. We did a run-through on the story of the rich young ruler. And things to remember are how this man was earnestly looking for the answer of how to gain eternal life. We talked about how there's really not a way for you to obtain it. There's nothing in your power and in your works or anything you can do other than accept the gift that has been given to you. But nothing out of your actions aside from that really, there's no work that you can do to gain anything. There's no perfect following of the law. Because even if you do accomplish that, as we saw with the rich young ruler, that doesn't give you eternal life. Um, we also talked about the importance of how we view Jesus and God the Father. Uh, because depending on how we see him, it really determines how we act when he asks us to do something and how we place value on him. This young man saw Jesus as a good teacher, but not as a good God. And therefore, when 
given the command to follow him, he didn't deem it as heavy because he didn't see him as what he was. Um, And he also didn't value Jesus as the treasure that he was. So he wasn't willing to let go of things he was dependent on. And that is the key to all of this. Uh, We also talked about the rewards and the blessings that you get for having let go of certain things in order to follow Christ Um, in this life and the coming life. And um, part of carrying our cross, so to speak, is that we have to die to the things that we want and the way we want to do things many times, even when at times it seems unfair to us because we don't really see why uh, we shouldn't do a certain thing or why, if it feels good to me, you call it bad. That seems counterintuitive, but that is what we are supposed to do, to die to self, because what we want and how we think shouldn't be our priority. It should be what he says. And if you have a problem with that, I think that there's a lot of studying that you have to do, especially if you are a Christian, um, because that is a fundamental problem with your view and stuff. And I'm not trying to be preachy or um, judge you in any way. Um, I don't have the power to do that, but I can certainly call out wrong ways of thinking. And... The truth is that what we want isn't important. Um, When we repented and received Jesus, we basically surrendered our life to him. Uh, Whether we understood that or not, when that happened, um, I think it it is a voluntary uh, part of how you choose to live your Christian life, but I think it should be the expected thing that you understand that at some point. And you choose to not esteem what you want and what you think as much as what God says and God wants. So anyway, uh, with that, we close the episode for today. I thank you again for being um, my companion and just meditating and thinking about these things because they help us be better and grow up. So I hope to see you next week uh, for Don't Take My Word For It. See you later.